Hello, America, and welcome to a new edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News, where today there's a lot of news. That's right. Attorney General Bill Barr is facing a very hostile Democratic-controlled House Judiciary Committee. There's been a lot of fireworks, a lot of tense exchanges already. We're going to bring you up to speed on that. In addition, there has been a new blockbuster revelation. We now know who Christopher Steele's primary subsource was. And guess what? He wasn't a Russian living in Moscow at all. He wasn't even based in Russia like the FBI claimed in its FISA warrant. He was an American working at the liberal think tank Brookings Institution. And when we tell you about his connections to other people, Democrats that played a role in propagating this, uh, the uh, dossier, the Steele dossier, you're going to be blown away. This is a major revelation with really significant repercussions. And we've got a great guest today. Yes, Congressman Dave Stubbe of the great state of Florida. He's here to talk about uh, everything going on in the House Judiciary Committee, what he witnessed today, what he's been struggling with, with uh, Jerry Nadler as the chairman. And he uses the T word to describe the possible criminal charges that can uh, be brought against the FBI uh, by uh, prosecutor John Durham. I'm not going to tell you what the T word is. I'm going to be a shameless tease. You're going to have to listen to the um, podcast to find out, but I'll give you a hint. The T word rhymes with season. All right. I'm not going to tell you anything more than that. You'll have to figure it out. I'm sorry. I don't know me do this, but I can't help myself today. All right. We're going to go to a quick commercial break here from our great sponsors, our great advertisers. When we come back, we're going to talk about the bar testimony and uh, the new revelation of who Christopher Steele's primary subsource was. This is a blockbuster revelation because it looks like this guy, not a Russian, was interconnected with a lot of other Democrats involved in the dirty trick that became Russia collusion. We'll be right back to explain it all right after these messages. Hey folks, you own firearms? I do. Did you know that there's an easy way for you to let everyone around you quickly see whether your firearm is loaded or unloaded? Meet muzzle stick barrel and chamber flags. Muzzle stick chamber and barrel flags offer a way for anyone, whether they handle firearms or not, to quickly see the loaded or unloaded status of a firearm. That could save lives. Are you one of nearly 80% of firearms owners that keep a loaded gun out of the safe for personal protection? Well, Taking an extra precaution by using muzzle sticks, big bright barrel, and chamber flags will let everyone around you know if the firearm is loaded or unloaded. Muzzle stick does not recommend keeping a loaded firearm outside of a gun safe, but the reality is that some people do. And a clearly marked gun's status communicates to others around that may not have firearm handling experience that it is something that they would not want to handle. Muzzle stick is not intended to replace the rules of firearm safety. However, their chamber and barrel flags do offer firearms rapid clear identification, and that could save lives. It's time for you to do everything you can to be a safe and responsible firearms owner. Head over to muzzlestick, M-U-Z-L-S-T-I-K.com to place your order. One more time, that's muzzlestick, M-U-Z-L-S-T-I-K.com. After all, we only have one life to live. All right, folks, welcome back to the John Solomon Reports Podcast. If you like what we're doing here, if you like the news at Just the News, where you get facts and not indoctrination, then uh, there's something you can do. You can go to the JTN shop today, jtnshop.com. That's our official Just the News store. No, we don't sell tchotchkes with the Just the News brand on it. What we sell are really useful products, things you can give as gifts and use at home, hand sanitizers, N95 masks, uh, the Clean Phone Pro 
sterilizer that sterilizes your phone with a blue light. Uh, you can buy a wand that sterilizes other uh, items in your house, make it portable, uh, couple it with some Lysol or Clorox. You got the best sterilization there ever was. And you can do some fun things. You want to splurge because you've been eating at home and you want something different. We've got lobster and crab tail. We've got the book, uh, Fallout. Get an autographed copy and attend one of my private VIP sessions with uh, Just the News uh, readers. All of that's available at the Just the News store. How do you get there? Go to jtnshop.com and uh, you'll be shopping away. And the great part about it, every time you shop and buy something there, you're supporting our news at justthenews.com at John Solomon Reports. All right. As this podcast is going on right now, Bill Barr is on the hot seat in the House Judiciary Committee where the Democrats are grilling him. And he has not uh, taken it nicely. He's fighting back. He's swinging back hard. And here's what he had to say today uh, when he was pressed by Democrats. Why did you intervene in some of these sentencing cases like Roger Stone, for instance, or Mike Flynn? And he said, you know what? There shouldn't be two uh, systems of justice. I agree. This is a direct quote from the Attorney General. I agree that the president's friends don't deserve special breaks, but they also don't deserve to be treated more harshly than others. And sometimes that's a difficult decision to make, especially when you know you're going to be castigated for it. But he did it anyways because he thought that's what equal justice required. He also um, really took on the mayors who were overseeing these cities where all the violence and rioting is going on. Uh, He had a very strong retort to Democrats who suggested the feds don't belong there, even though they're protecting federal property. Here's what the attorney general said, quote, federal courts are under attack. Since when is it okay to try to burn down a federal courthouse? Uh, Barr asked. The U.S. Marshals have a duty to stop that and defend the courthouse, and that's what we're doing in Portland. We are at the courthouse defending the courthouse. We're not out looking for trouble. Pretty strong words from the Attorney General. He also had some really great opening statements here that um, I think will have a lot to do. I mean, the opening of the hearing was extremely interesting because Jerry Nadler got in a car accident, the chairman, so he was a little late getting there. Uh, and uh, Nadler just opened up and said, uh, suggested that Barr was a patsy for Donald Trump. And uh, this is one of the quotes from Chairman Nadler. After he finished utterly humiliating his first attorney general, Trump found you, suggesting that that's what was the payoff, that Trump was going to be a partisan. Uh, par, or Trump wanted a partisan, and uh, Barr was going to be that person. Well, guess what? Bill Barr didn't take that sitting down nicely at all. He pushed right back. Here's a direct quote it's suggesting he's not a lapdog. My decisions on criminal matters before the department have been my own, and they have been made because I believe they were right under the law and principles of justice. He, um, he really uh, hung tough on that. It would not give any ground that he's a political patsy for, for President Trump. But more importantly, he also talked about the Russiagate scandal. He called it the bogus Russiagate scandal. It's the first time I think I've heard him say that. He called the Russia collusion scandal, quote, bogus Russia gets scandal. Here's what he said. Ever since I made it clear that I was going to do everything I could to get to the bottom of the grave abuses, that's another important word, grave abuses, involved in the bogus Russia gate scandal, many of the Democrats on this committee have attempted to discredit me by conjuring up a narrative that I am simply the president's factotum who disposes of criminal cases according to his instructions. Judging from the letter inviting me to this hearing, that appears to be rejected today. He was pretty tough. He explained why he got involved in unraveling 
the uh, the Russia collusion delusion. Here's what he said, and I think these are important words. I listen to this. As an outsider, I became deeply troubled by what I perceived as the increasing use of the criminal justice process as a political weapon and the emergence of two separate standards of justice. Pretty, pretty strong words, right? Uh, why Mike Flynn's prosecuted for lying while uh, Andy McCabe is not. All right, so that's it. That's still ongoing. We'll have more wrap-up. We're going to do a special edition tomorrow of the podcast. So come back again and we're going to have a special Wednesday edition. Why? This week is National Whistleblowers Day, a holiday you probably don't celebrate, but which is important to keeping an eye and a check and balance on big government. And tomorrow we have the director of the National Whistleblower Center with us, Steve Cohn. He is an amazing figure over the last 30 years, has taken on the FBI, the Swiss banks, uh, nuclear industry. Um, he has found all sorts of wrongdoing and protected the interests, the rights of whistleblowers nationwide, real whistleblowers. You're going to want to hear his stories uh, and what's going on in the world of whistleblowing in the era of Trump. Really important stuff. All right. So before that, we'll have a, we'll do give you an update on the bar, the second half of the bar hearing when that comes. Meanwhile, we've got a new development, and that occurred this weekend when a lawyer for Igor Danchenko confirmed Igor Danchenko, a man who lives in the United States, a legal U.S. resident, born in Ukraine during the Soviet Union. Igor Danchenko and his lawyer confirm he was the primary subsource for Christopher Steele. Uh, Real clear investigations, the New York Times, lots of people had that confirmed. Here's why that's important. He didn't live or isn't based in Russia. Danchenko was in the United States. In fact, he was working for the Brookings Institution. Why would that be a big deal? Because in two of its FISA applications, the FBI in seeking permission to spy on Carter Page and the Trump campaign, said the primary subsource of the document was, quote, truthful and cooperative and Russian-based. Truthful and cooperative and Russian-based. Now, he wasn't Russian-based. He was based in America. He might have gone to Russia a couple times. He wasn't based in Russia. He wasn't even a Russian by birth. Uh, Now, he was truthful and cooperative, a very catchy phrase that the FBI used, but he was truthful and cooperative in confirming that what Christopher Steele attributed to him wasn't true. In other words, he debunked the Steele dossier. So why is Danchenko important? Well, let's let's take a look at something that I think is very important. The Brookings Institution, where he worked, is a place where Strobe Talbot, former Clinton administration official, former close friend of Hillary Clinton, Strobe Talbot's one of the guys who contacted Steele and requested a copy of his dossier to share with the Obama administration. Uh, and, and we know this because Steele just testified to this in Great Britain. In addition, uh, Danchenko worked for, or worked on a, uh, an academic paper with Fiona Hill, the Russian expert who came out of the Brookings Institute and embedded herself in the Trump campaign, uh, Trump uh, NSC in early January 17, and she later becomes, yes, I'm not making this up, an impeachment witness. But wait, those are not the only connections. All right, so you've got Danchenko working at uh, the Brookings Institution for a while, writing a paper with Fiona Hill at the Brookings Institution. The head of the Brookings Institution, uh, Strobe Talbot, is one of the guys trafficking in the Christopher Steele dossier. And guess what? Strobe Talbot's brother-in-law, a guy named Cody Scherer, he wrote his own anti-Trump Russia dossier and gave it to the FBI, gave it to the State Department, back in 2016. 
These guys were a giant web of Trump-hating, dossier writing, uh, uh, misleading uh, figures. And uh, I just think that the sudden web of connections between Danchenko, Hill, Talbot, Scherer, and Brookings is going to become more and more important. Devin Nunez said on the Sunday talk shows that uh, with Maria Bartiroma specifically, he's opened a full-blown probe into this. And uh, I want to read one quote he had there because it's um, uh, really important. We think there's a connection between the president of Brookings, Strobe Talbot, and those dossiers that were given to the State Department that mirrored the Steele dossiers. In other words, a group of people were working together to create these dossiers and amplify the false allegations of Russia collusion, Russia uh, delusion. Uh, as we dig deeper, here's what we found. I, I did a quick run and researched all the connections of the Brookings Institute uh, between Obama, Joe Biden, Hillary Clinton, and they are a lot. I've already told you about Strobe Dalbert, former Deputy Secretary of State for Bill Clinton. Hillary Clinton named him to the Foreign Affairs Policy Board in the U.S. government in 2011 while he was the president of the um, Brookings Institution. He was widely expected to join uh, the Clinton administration if she had won in 2016, which he did not. Well, Arne Duncan, the uh, former Education Secretary for Obama, he's currently at the Brookings Institute. And guess what? Joe Biden gave four speeches at the Brookings Institution, three while he was vice president, one after he left. The one he gave in 2018, here's how the Brookings Institute introduced, introduced him. Quote, a true champion of the American people and certainly the middle class. All right, let me get this straight. 501c3, tax exempt, not supposed to be involved in politics, calling the future 2020 nominee a true champion of the American people. Sounds like an endorsement to me. Well, we ought to dig in further, and Devin Nunez is. I think we're going to learn more about the Brookings Institution and its ties to Democrats and the dossier. I think we're just beginning to scratch a very ugly surface. Uh, we'll keep you appraised on that, but you can go to justthenews.com and find my story. The headline of it is, Revelation of Steele's primary source triggers focus on think tank tied to Clinton and Biden. Yes, that's the Brookings Institution. All right, we're going to go to commercial break when we come back. Yep, Congressman Greg Stubbe of the great state of Florida joining us. Buckle your seatbelt. He's going to use a big term for the sort of criminal charges he thinks will be filed against the FBI in the fall. You're not going to want to miss that. All right, commercial break. We'll be right back. Thanks for sticking with us. Folks, Field of Greens is the healthiest thing I do every day, and I want you on this journey with me. Why? It's literally one scoop a day. It tastes great. I love the fruit flavors particularly, and it's completely improved my life and my health. This is nutrition the way nature intended. When I began taking a hard look at why I wasn't feeling good and why I felt unhealthy, why I was gaining weight, why I was losing energy, it wasn't just because I had hit my 50s. No, it was because I wasn't getting the right amount of fruit and vegetables in my diet. And listen, it's, I'm just too busy to go to the store, clean up the vegetables, cook uh, uh, vegetable dinners, and make sure I hit the fruit. A field of greens stepped in. One scoop of powder in my drink or on my eggs in the morning, and boom, I was off and feeling better. And suddenly, I was losing weight. I was sleeping better. My metabolism went up. My blood sugar went down. My cholesterol went down, and my weight went down. And my doctor said, hey, whatever you're doing, keep it doing. You know what that is? 
It's Field of Greens. That's what I've been doing. Field of Greens is radically different. Each organic fruit and vegetable was medically chosen to support heart and vital organ health. I trust Field of Greens to keep me healthy. I promise you, you're going to love this product. But if for any reason you don't, they'll give you 100% money back guarantee. Now, you're going to get 15% off your first order plus free rush shipping because of the incredible partnership we have here at Just the News with Brick house nutrition and of course field of greens all you got to do to take advantage of this offer visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code just news that's promo code just news at fieldofgreens.com don't wait go to fieldofgreens.com today use the promo code just news for 15 percent off all right folks welcome back from the commercial break and as i promise a special guest congressman greg stuby of florida welcome to the show again good to have you back yeah, John, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, I've been watching uh, you on the floor of the House the last few weeks. You've been pretty busy, starting with, uh, I thought, a pretty important uh, uh, debate with um, Jerry Nadler, the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, who has Bill Barr before him at this very moment. But uh, you're taking on the claim that Antifa and its violence is a myth, because that's what Jerry Nadler said. Tell us a little bit about what you um, what you thought about that. Well, it's just absurd to think that what we see in black and white and color on our TVs right now is not actually happening and is not being organized by Antifa when they're identifying themselves as such. So to say, especially not only as a member of Congress, but as the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, that Antifa is a myth, uh, it just it blows my mind. And I intend later in the hearing today to kind of briefly talk about the fact that we have a chairman who's just completely ignoring facts and video and hundreds of videos. And uh, Jim Jordan at the beginning of the hearing today actually showed video to make it abundantly clear. Here's actually what is happening in some of these places across our country and in some of these big cities. This is not a peaceful protest. And these protests are being organized and involved in by Antifa. It, it is remarkable. And uh, I have a funny feeling. I just came back from the Midwest where I was traveling for a couple of days. And in middle America, this violence and the ignorance of this violence, the public, particularly liberal mayors and, and lawmakers who are excusing it, sanctioning it uh, or uh, ignoring it. Uh, it's really resonating with everyday Americans. They don't like this. They want to go home at night and know that their child's not going to be shot in bed while they're sleeping uh, I just was struck by how strong a reaction there was in middle America to this. Are you seeing the same thing in Florida and around the state? Is this a not only a tragedy for the American public, but has this become an important election issue come uh, November? I think it absolutely is. And I think I, I, I don't think that the Democrats realize how they're turning off independents and moderates and those people in the middle of the road. Um, soccer moms, suburban moms who may not have supported the president in 2018 and, you know, kind of pushed against him, they are not going to be cool with their sons and daughters not being able to partake in activities and be safe in their communities. I, I just think that the majority, mass majority of Americans are not okay what we are watching on nightly news. And the mainstream media is sometimes not even portraying it or showing actual video you're having to search the internet to see some of this yeah. actual video like recently there was at a putt-putt in memphis tennessee 
hundreds and hundreds of juveniles attacking and destroying this place of business. You're not going to see that in the mainstream media. So I, I think the majority of Americans want to feel safe when they leave their home. They want to feel safe in their neighborhoods, in their homes. And if they live in these big cities and they see what's happening around them and the attack on our law enforcement, since when is it politically correct to say that we're going to defund law enforcement, that we're going to take away half of their funding, that we're going to not allow them to get militarized equipment to, to protect themselves? I just don't think the majority of America is where the Democrats are these days. And, and, you, and, and most Democrats will say, oh, this is just, you know, this is just left wing. This isn't where members of Congress are. There are members of Congress that have filed a bill to dissolve and get away with ICE, to do away with <laughs> Department of Homeland Security's officers. This is happening in Congress as we speak. It is, it is remarkable. And, and you've talked about the media as sort of a uh, a funnel that uh, doesn't allow the public to see what's really going on. There was a, a tremendous column over the weekend in the Hill newspaper where I used to work uh, by Jonathan Turley, the GW law professor, uh, who, by the way, describes himself as a, uh, a liberal who has been involved in both of the impeachment proceedings against President Clinton and for uh, President Trump. Uh, and he said something profound, which is that right now the media is engaged in willful blindness, particularly as it comes to another one of the topics that you've been very eloquently talking about, and that's the Russia abuses. And uh, his trigger for that article was the revelation that Lindsey Graham made public last week. These new notes that show the, the FBI was using a counterintelligence briefing, one, one in August and then another in January 2017, August 16, when he's candidate Trump getting his first counterintelligence briefing, then January 21st, 2017, when he's about to be he's the first day in office as president to spy on the president, to take record what questions he was asking on. What was your reaction to that? You've been pretty vocal. I saw you on Fox News the other night, Fox Business, I think it was. You're, um, uh, you're really concerned about what, what these revelations are pointing towards inside the FBI, aren't you? Well, all you had to do was to look at that now declassified memo in the very top of it has the mission or however they annotate it, Crossfire Hurricane, which we all know now was basically the investigation of the Trump campaign and their alleged, which we know now completely false, collusion with Russia. So the whole precipice of doing a briefing to who was the president, Flynn and uh, Chris Christie at the time, was not to debrief him on national security issues because he was now the nominee in the Republican Party for president. It was to actually try to get evidence for Crossfire Hurricane that there was collusion between uh, the Russian government and the Trump campaign, which we all know now is complete fiction. But that was the purpose of the briefing, and it was labeled as such on the memorandum, which even lends itself even more to the atrocities that were going on in, in the FBI at the time. And I hope that Attorney General Barr today will go through some of that, and I intend on asking him a few questions as it relates to the Inspector General's report that found you know, 17 different discrepancies or omissions or outright misrepresentations in the FISA application for Carter Page, the process in which the Obama administration went through all of this. If it's not clear to you now, it should be abundantly clear when these indictments start coming out for individuals involved in this through the Durham probe, that this wasn't an FBI that was sought on justice. This was a politicized, weaponized FBI at the highest level that was solely trying to take down 
a presidential campaign and then an incumbent president once he got sworn in. And that should scare every American. Yeah, I often joke because, you know, people say, well, I read a lot of your reporting and you had it right. And I said, I didn't have it right at all. It was far worse than I thought it was when I started reporting on it. The, the level of deception and the level of dishonesty that occurred in law enforcement and intelligence is, is breathtaking. And now you're a lawyer and you served in Iraq. When you look at this, do you see what sort of, you just mentioned indictments. So it sounds like you're expecting indictments. That's certainly what I'm hearing. What sort of case as a lawyer could you see? Is it a conspiracy to defraud the United States? Is it false statements? Where do you think uh, the best legal prosecution opportunities are with the evidence we now have in the public? Well, the first thing that comes to my mind, having been a JAG who served in a deployed environment, is treason. I mean, they swore an oath to uphold and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and they were creating an enemy for political purposes to try to take down an, an incoming presidential, not just campaign, but his administration. But the easy things are going to be, um, you heard Lindsey Graham talk about it a couple of days ago, the misrepresentations, which we don't know who this is yet, but apparently there was a hearing where the FBI representative on behalf of the FBI just completely lied to a congressional hearing. So lying to Congress, I think, is going to be an easy one that the DOJ will be able to show the elements of. I think uh, on top of lying to Congress, any misrepresentations in these reports that they knew or should have known at the time that they made these representations of the FISA court should be held accountable in a criminal court. So those, I think, are the easy things that they can go after. But being a person who swore an oath to defend the country, both in my service in the military and as a member of Congress, I, I think the level to which this agency and these individuals were trying to thwart an incoming president, to me, is treasonous. Wow, that's a big word. But uh, the evidence is is growing every day towards the, the level of this plot. It rarely was a plot and it was carried out for three years. It's it's remarkable. Now, you, you grew up in a law enforcement family, right? Your dad was a sheriff. Yeah, Nancy my dad County? served over 40 years and was a sheriff wow. uh, for two terms. Wow. So I grew up in a whole family of cops. My dad retired as a police chief. So we have that upbringing. And I, when you look out now, could you have imagined growing up an FBI, you know, because I had got, FBI agents would sleep on my dad's couch when they came to visit when he was working and working on big cases. Could you imagine back then what we now have seen in the FBI? How how stark is it as the son of a law enforcement officer, a sheriff, uh, to see what the FBI did in this case? One of the one of the biggest accomplishments that my my father was the most proud of, and probably still is proud of, is his nomination and completion of the FBI National Academy. They have an FBI National Academy for select individual law enforcement officers from all across the country to partake in FBI training. And it's a huge um, honor to be a part of that and to complete that. And he always talked about it. I can remember going to Quantico for his graduation and he was always very proud of his ability to complete the FBI national Academy as a law enforcement officer. And there's tons of law enforcement officers out there that get selected. And it's an honor to be selected and to complete it. And now you've completely defaced and um, torn down the reputation of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. I mean, I, I think every American now is like, well, if we can't trust them at the highest levels we're talking, we're not talking about 
individual agents operating in field offices across the country. We are talking about the leadership of the FBI operating the FBI in a way that they're deceiving the FISA court, that they're surveilling on American citizens for political purposes. And it's completely discredited an agency that was once esteemed throughout law enforcement. Yeah, it is remarkable. And it's, uh, as some people have said, uh, Kevin Brock, particularly the former intelligence chief for the FBI, it's going to take years for the FBI to get over the stain of what a few leaders did. It's, um, it is stunning. Staying on law enforcement, because you come from that background and you've been so uh, vocal, uh, what is the next step in this debate? As, you know, Obviously, we got to get control of the riots, but is there something legislatively that you'd like to see done in Congress to uh, address uh, first the community trust issues that occur in some black communities with police officers, but also uh, how we're going to go about tackling the issues of rioters. If you take away pepper spray and you take away all the capabilities of police officers, how are we going to get control of these riots? Is there anything you or the Republicans are working on to sort of put law enforcement in a better posture in all of this tyranny and anarchy that's going on right now? Well, the challenge is, is you have Democratic leaders in these cities and sometimes these states that are refusing to uphold the rule of law. They are seeing what is happening to their cities and sitting back and saying, oh, this is just a peaceful protest, despite the fact that people are dying, despite the fact that businesses are being torn down, despite the fact that federal government property is being attacked and statues are being attacked, and that's government property. So there's already laws on the book. I looked when, when all this first started going on. I wanted to see, okay, is, is it not a felony to destroy federal property? It's already the law. So it's just not being enforced by our, our de these Democratic mayors because they're afraid of the mob. And so the first thing that needs to happen is I hope that the people in these communities that don't want their businesses torn down and don't want people being murdered and killed will elect officials who are going to uphold the rule of law. This shouldn't be a political argument. I don't care whether you're a Republican or a Democrat. You should support the fact that people shouldn't get killed. People, property should not be destroyed. Businesses should not be destroyed. And so that's the challenge in some of these bigger cities. I signed on to a bill. Uh, I can't remember what the number of it is, but that would enhance penalties to law enforcement officers if they're targeted. They would enhance criminal penalties if you're you're trying to either assault and or kill a law enforcement officer. But until these people start getting arrested and locked up and people start to see that there's going to be accountability if you break the law, I think we're going to have challenges, especially with our young people in our country, because our young people are watching this happen and saying, well, I mean, if they can do it in Seattle and they can do it in Portland, well, why can't we do it here in Sarasota County and nobody's going Sarasota yeah. County, Florida, and nobody's going to stop us from doing it. So in, in these communities across the country, there just needs to be an upholding of the law. And I think the mass majority of Americans support that. They don't want to see property destroyed and people getting hurt and especially our law enforcement officers being attacked for doing their job. Yeah, that's really clear in the uh, polling data. We've even had Adjust the News where most people don't consider the activities of the rioters protests. They call it violence. And I think that the American people is far smarter than the spin machines in the media and uh, liberal establishments are, are giving them credit for. Um, is there a possibility? Is there uh, a way for Congress to use the power of the purse to force some of these mayors to take action? And all these cities get significant federal funding 
Is there any discussion among Republicans to seek legislation that would penalize a city a city if it doesn't, uh, you know, uh, provide law and order services the way you know the the American public expects it? Is there anything on that front that you guys are examining? I I've looked at bills that do just that. Uh, I think there's other members that are working on legislation that does just that. The challenge that we have is we know that's not going to pass a Democratic led House. So we can file the bill and have the have the conversations, but the challenge is, is it's not going to get passed in a Democratic House. So we'll file them and then it'll sit there and never get a committee hearing. But I agree with you 100 percent. Start pulling some of these states, uh, some of these big cities, their federal funding for all the different federal programs that their citizens are using because they're not following federal law and see how quick they change their behavior. Yeah, there's nothing like the power of the purse, I'll tell you that. Uh, that gets everybody's attention, particularly these days when a lot of these cities are uh, uh, spending money like water. So it's important to say. It'll be interesting to see. I've been hearing some rumblings of that, uh, and I'd, I'd love to, I'd love to if, you, if you see any development, uh, keep us abreast on that. That's a very important development. Um, heading into the election now, uh, this election started as a, uh, a referendum on the, the Trump economy, which put the president in good shape. Then the COVID-19 came along and then George Floyd and the rioting occurred after that. As we head into the fall, what are the fundamental issues that you think this election will turn on, both in Florida and across the country? Well, I certainly think the, the president's handling of the pandemic and where we are at that point in time, I, I think is going to to dictate a lot of where people are as it relates to voting one way or the other. Um, you know, we've got, what is it? A hundred days, less than a hundred days now to the election. Yeah, 97 to so go. much changes yep. so fast these days. I mean, I, I've been, I haven't even been elected. I haven't even been in Congress two years and we've dealt with the government shutdown when we swore in a year of impeachment, uh, COVID-19 and now all these protests and, and you, it just cha- Everything's changing so fast that, the electorate is kind of responding to all of these different things and how the president responds. I'll tell you this. I don't believe any of the polling that I see. I think there's a mass majority of Americans who aren't going to answer a phone call from a pollster is out there who may, may not want to, doesn't typically vote, but is absolutely going to vote this election cycle because they don't think that their police should be defunded. They don't think that all of these things they're watching on TV should be occurring in our country. And I think there's going to be a huge outpouring of support for the president just because of the opposite of this would be what we're seeing today in some of these liberally led Democratic led cities. So I I feel like the more that the Democratic majority does the type of things that they're doing, talks about defunding police, actually does it in the case of New York and some of these other cities, I I think the, the mass majority of Americans don't support that. Yeah, it's going to be really fascinating to watch that play out. I, I, I was just struck, you know, Wisconsin and certainly the area I was in was pretty blue. And uh, but there's just a, an anger at tearing down historical statues, uh, watching things get burned, Molotov cocktails being tossed. And um, I think that uh, you're right, that this probably plays out uh, in the psyche in a way that we're not ready and probably not capturing in the polls at all right now. Uh, another thing that I've come across in traveling lately, and I was up in Connecticut, which was hard hit by COVID, and then Wisconsin, which you know has had a moderate cases, a general sense that the federal public health officials 
after all the billions of dollars we've given them for research and, and studies and, and infrastructure and uh, researchers that we really don't, they don't really seem to know much. They flip-flopped a lot. You know, we went from don't wear a mask, wear a mask. Don't go on a cruise. Don't go on a cruise. You can go through all the different ones that, um, that we've been through. Um, do you think there's a moment now for us to go back and look and just examine how we're spending our money at NIH and whether, like, should there be a blue ribbon commission? Should there be something that looks at these public health agencies and finds a way to make them more efficient, more consistent in their recommendations after what we've experienced the last nine months? I hope that there's going to be an examination of all of this. I mean, we've spent, we take in $3.5 trillion a year in revenue to the Federal Reserve, and we we are spent, we've so far spent $7 trillion this year. And like you said, there's a lot of money going to research, yet we don't have a vaccine. There's a lot of money going to our health departments and all these. And, and I don't think the American people know what that's going for and how that money is being spent when we're just doling out trillions and trillions of dollars. I mean, there was an article today, and, and I think the Paycheck Protection Program did a lot for small businesses that um, we're told to shut down by the government to continue to pay their employees. But now I'm reading in the Miami Herald today, there was a Miami business where he spent all the money on going and buying all this stuff and not paying his employees and that he's been indicted on, on fraud charges. So I think there's going to be a huge accountability on spending when all of this kind of, we have time to look back on what the government has done. And I think it's going to be very difficult for right now for there to get another package done. Because I certainly don't support paying more people on unemployment than they were making at their job. That has caused huge problems for our manufacturing sectors. I have My largest employer in my district makes hurricane windows and doors, and he's got 70 openings at his place of business, and he can't fill those spots. And when he talks to people, all the people say, look, I'm making more money on unemployment. I'm not going to come and work hard for eight hours a day, sometimes 10 hours a day to make less than I'm making on unemployment. So we, we can't do that because we're incentivizing people not to work, and it's hurting the economy overall. Yeah. And you know, there was a president two decades ago that made a similar argument. His name was Bill Clinton. It's sort of funny how far the Democrats have come. If you remember Bill Clinton was in favor of with Newt Gingrich of workfare and getting people back to work. And uh, today it seems as though uh, the, the majority of Democrats want to just pay people to stay at home. It's um, it is a remarkable time. There's no doubt about it. Uh, the final question I'd like to get to, because I know you're going to get back to the hearing and I'm so grateful you took the time in the middle of one of the busiest days in Congress to come talk to us. China, uh, you continue to drill down on, on the wrongdoing and uh, that China has. And it seems as though the administration is, taking increasingly tougher steps, really uh, uh, screwing down the, the pressure on China. Do you What do you think should play out between now and, and the end of the year in terms of additional sanctions, penalties, investigations of China, not only over COVID, but over the other things we're learning? Like we talked about researchers. A lot of these researchers in America had secret deals with China where they were getting money on the side. We've seen some of those prosecutions in recent weeks. Um, what do you think is important as the next steps in our relationship with China? Well, and it's a and it's a lot more prevalent than I think people realize. There was a a research Great cancer point. research hospital in Florida where the CEOs and some of the higher executives had bank accounts in China where the Chinese government was paying them to send them some of their research. And there's obviously some criminality that's involved in that, and that's going through an investigation. But that this is pervasive throughout our country, and I'm glad that the president 
and uh, Pompeo and the State Department is taking a much more defensive and aggressive approach on saying enough is enough. You're not going to steal our intellectual property anymore. I support their decision of shutting down that embassy in Houston that they knew was was the center point for stealing all this intellectual property across the country. I think we need to take a hard stand. And um, I think we need to continue to do that so that China doesn't steal our property, that China doesn't get more aggressive than they're, they're being. And obviously, we all know now, know that they knew that COVID-19 was transmittable from human to human, yet they denied that. And the World Health Organization, who they were paying to propagate their propaganda to the world, was not telling the world how uh, infectious this disease was. They could have kept that disease contained in Wuhan. And they didn't. They let all these Chinese people travel all throughout the, the world, millions of them, and infecting the entire world. I, I drafted a bill and, and dropped a bill that would hold China financially responsible for our response to the pandemic. And it gives the president the authority and, and latitude to negotiate how they would pay for that, whether we get paying less on our debt that China holds for us, or there's direct payments, whatever the case may be, it gives the president the authority to negotiate that with the Chinese Communist Party. But they absolutely owe the world and the United States for something that they could have stopped on the shores of their country. That's yeah, truly remarkable. And I, I suspect we're going to learn more as our intelligence agencies and, and uh, congressional committees dig in more. I, there's a, a lot of ugly stuff still to be found out about how, how much we failed and how much influence they've had over the medical research community and the WHO, the WHO, for so long. Congressman, I could spend all day talking to you, but I know you got to get back to work. I want to thank you so much for taking time on an incredibly busy day to give us your insights. And we hope to have you back soon. Yeah, I appreciate that. Anytime. All right, sir. All right, folks, we're going to go to a quick commercial break and then we're going to wrap things up. Folks, if you owe back taxes, fair warning, you're not going to like this. The IRS is mailing millions of pay up letters. Millions, I say. Then it's up to the 20,000 new IRS enforcement agents to find you. Why the IRS targets you and not millionaires? Well, because millionaires have tax lawyers. You don't, you'll pay up. Plus interest and penalties. You need Tax Network USA, and you need them now. Tax Network USA has brilliant war room strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. Like a preferred direct line to the IRS, they know which agents to deal with and who to avoid. It's not all bad news for you because Tax Network USA learned of a special limited time IRS offer. They're willing to waive $1 billion in penalties if you qualify. So schedule your free confidential consultation to see if you qualify for this limited time IRS penalty canceling offer. To do so, call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit tnusa.com slash justnews. That's tnusa.com slash justnews. Wow, what a day. That interview with Congressman Greg Stubbe of the great state of Florida really uh Quite a wild ride. A lot of important things he packed into 28 minutes. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. Hope you enjoyed the take on the Brookings Institution, our live coverage of the bar testimony. Remember, we're going to be back tomorrow, an unusual thing. We're going to have a special edition, a special Wednesday edition. Why? Because we're going to celebrate National Whistleblower Day a day early. Yes, you probably never knew that was a holiday, but it is. And it's for a very important purpose, to encourage and celebrate those who courageously come out of government, out of the private sector, 
and blow the whistle on real wrongdoing. Not the silly stuff that's been involved in politics, but real wrongdoing, wasteful spending, crimes, uh, money laundering, safety issues in products and in governance. Uh, We're going to have Steve Cohn, the head of the National Whistleblower Center, one of the great lawyers in American uh, whistleblowing. And uh, if you have any you don't have any other reason to listen besides what I just said. Here's something. One of his clients who blew the whistle on the government got an award. And guess how big it was? $104 million. Hey, whistleblowing could be worth it. Well, that's not the real reason people do it. You don't do it to get rich because you, you often put up with a lot of retribution. But uh, you do it because you're a patriot and you care about the government or about American corporate safety. Uh, and Steve Cohen, a man who's represented some of the most important of all whistleblowers in American history. Fred Whitehurst, the whistleblower for the FBI lab. Bradley Birkenfeld, the uh, whistleblower on the Swiss banks. FBI people who blew the, pro, uh, blew the whistle on the uh, NSA program and abuses of American civil liberties. Uh, these are really powerful stories. Steve Cohn has been at the center of the most important whistleblower cases of the last three centuries, along with my good friend, Senator Chuck Grassley, who has stood up for whistleblowers uh, re- through Republican and Democratic administrations because he believes in the process. And you're going to learn something interesting from Steve Cohn tomorrow. Whistleblowing was envisioned by the founding fathers in the Constitution. You're going to get that lesson tomorrow and a whole lot more. So please tune in tomorrow. In the meantime, go to jtnshop.com. Check out all the great items we've got there, including the book. You can get an autographed copy of my book, Fallout, and be able to attend a private session to ask me questions. That's a really fun opportunity. And remember, if you like what we do at John Solomon Reports, if you like what we do at Just the News, you can support the great advertisers and sponsors you've heard throughout this show. Without them, we couldn't do what we do every day. All right, you have a safe and blessed evening. Remember, come back Wednesday, special edition. Stay tuned. Going to be a fun week here in Washington. All right, you've been listening to John Solomon Reports. I'm John Solomon. Please remember, when you need a breaking news fix, go to justthenews.com. Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year, and then the inflation data came out higher than expected again, just like we've been predicting. Friends, this isn't going away anytime soon. It can't. The U.S. is $34 plus trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher, whether it's at the grocery cart or at the gas store. So you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation, and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold, and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. All you got to do to get started, text Just News to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation. The way to do it, with gold. All you got to do to get started on that journey with my good friend, who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group, text Just News to 989898 98 98 right now.